Executive Director of the Vapor Technology Association. We are a national trade association which represents companies throughout the entire industry. We are looking and are urging a, an urgent solution to this issue of youth vapor. Do you have the solution? We do and believe we have the solution. Say what it is. Yeah, absolutely. We were founded in 2012 and we open publish manufacturing standards for e-liquid products that anybody, uh, any manufacturing industry may use. And if you don't have high standards, you're going to have some very dangerous things happen. That's Absolutely. what's been happening, right? Absolutely. Where people are using devices and other things that are not good, right? That's a problem. Thank you. Mr. President, your instincts on September 11th were correct, but facts and the situations change. On September 11th, you were under the impression that the CDC was saying was that vaping, vaping in general, was killing people. But now we know from the CDC that their main focus of their investigation, it's not store-bought nicotine products. It's not the companies that Tony Abood represents. It was illicit THC oil cartridges sold by drug dealers. Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. It was a pinnacle moment for the U.S. vaping industry. At the White House on Friday, vaping industry leaders met face-to-face -face with anti-vaping opponents, public health advocates, <clears throat> and President Trump in what was billed as a listening session to address the surge in underage vaping. Issues concerning flavors and, of course, a flavor ban captivated the discussion and provided for much of the disagreement. It truly was an astonishing day. You just heard President Trump in our opening clip package state that's true in response to Greg Conley from the American Vaping Association, who made the point in no uncertain terms that retail nicotine vaping products were not involved in the mysterious illness and death, which the CDC widely attributed to vaping in general. President Trump agreed, and that is certainly remarkable. Clearly, the president was engaged throughout the session, but not only did he listen, he also led the conversation, demonstrating numerous times a significant understanding of the issues from the importance of flavors to the dangers of prohibition. Now, all this sounds like good news for vaping, but is it? Well, joining us today uh, to find out is our good friends Tony Abood and John Glauser from the Vaping Technology Association, VTA Executive Board Member John Glauser and Executive Director Tony Abood. Gentlemen, thanks for coming on RegWatch. Thanks for having us, Brent. We appreciate it. It's a uh, pleasure to be here, Brent. Thanks for having us. That's awesome, guys. Look, Tony, you, John, and the entire VTA team have really pushed hard on the White House to step back on his proposed flavor ban. So you're in the room, Tony, sitting right across the table from the president. What's yeah. your sense of where he's at on this issue? Well. First of all, having that opportunity, I have to say, was uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, to be able to sit directly across the table, be able to look at him directly and speak directly to him, uh, gave us an opportunity that this industry has never had. Having three vaping industry uh, experts in the room in particular uh, was, again, something that I think nobody anticipated uh, six months <laughs> ago, a year ago, much less uh, a couple years ago. So I, I want to just start off by saying how significant it was that he had myself and Greg Conley as well as Scott Ely in the room uh, because he heard some interesting and, and, and important perspectives from all of us. And I think he took those perspectives to heart. Um, clearly, the president, as you noted uh, at the beginning, Brent, is well-versed on the issue. Uh, 
he is well versed on the issue in part because uh, the issue was brought to him uh, by the First Lady and by his secretary, Azar, but also uh, the, the work that we have put in in the last two and a half months since the big announcement on September 11th, uh, I think has really resonated with him and other members of his administration. So uh, we feel very good about the fact not only that we were in the room, but we were having a substantive discussion in which he was fully engaged. So there was uh, obviously more than just the vaping industry. I'll just rattle off uh, some of the key people that were there that are the ants or anti-vaping, right? So you had Meredith uh, mm -hmm. Beckman or Berkman, I think? Yep. Yep, from uh, co-founder of Parents Against Vaping e-cigarettes. So that's PAVE. And they've certainly been making a lot of noise over the last 18 months. Patrice Harris, who's president of the American Medical Association. Matt Myers, president of the camp of Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, and who's also the one that was responsible in the late 90s for basically negotiating the settlement agreement. Um, and he's still with us, uh, praise the Lord. Uh, CEO of Jewel Labs was there. Um, and you also had uh, American Academy Pediatrics. Uh, Cancer Society, and uh, a whole host of others. At Lung Association, I'm just trying to mention the ones that we're going to be playing a lot of. And of course, sure. uh, Senator Mitt Romney uh, was there too as well. John, I've got a clip, but before we do, I'd like to make sure that we get um, a few words from you. Somebody who's so involved in the industry and your business, obviously, is, uh, you know, you're, you're one of the top distributors and also got your hands in a bunch of other stuff. Um, what, have you, what did you think after Friday? Well, you know, Friday was really just a, a culmination of, uh, like Tony alluded to, two and a half months, but really years of extremely hard work. And um, when people see what happens as an end result, sometimes it's hard to uh, consider what goes into getting to that result. And for me, it was not only a big relief, but I was so proud of our team at VTA and Tony specifically for uh, leading us to um, a meeting with the White House. Who would have ever have guessed that, you know, the president himself would have got involved in this issue to the extent that he has. So not only am I very proud, but I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm, I can, the anticipation is killing me to see what comes out from the White House in the coming days. Well, that really truly is uh, the $16 million question. Well, and obviously that's uh, just one clip from the meeting. <laughs> you guys were there. It wasn't quite that bad. Or you were there, Tony. It wasn't quite that bad, but uh, might be close here. One second. So um, here's a clip from the meeting. All right, here we go. Well, this is a, a very big subject, and it's a very complex subject, uh, probably a little bit less complex than some people think, uh, but okay, one I'm second, here to guys. listen. And one second. There you go. Well, this is a, a very big subject, and it's a very complex subject, uh, probably a little bit less complex than some people think, uh, but I'm here to listen, and I, I have very divergent views. Mr. President, I'm Senator Mitt Romney. Uh, myself and uh, Senator Merkley have authored, offered uh, legislation that uh, is very consistent with your policy from September, your discussion in September, which is to ban flavors so that we don't have kids getting hooked on nicotine products. My name is Matthew Myers. I'm the president of the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids. 
I've been working on reducing death and disease from tobacco for 35 years, and I've never seen an epidemic this serious, this rapid, and this intense as caused by the flavors of e-cigarettes among our youth. And do you think you have a solution? I think that we do have a solution. And I think in September, the solution that you posed is an extraordinarily powerful step in the right direction. Okay, we'll take a look at it. I'm Gary Reedy. I'm CEO of the American Cancer Society and the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. And I want to thank you for making this public health epidemic a national priority. So where are you? What is your stance? It's a very important position you have. What is your stance on vaping, e-cigarettes? How are you? Have you, have you taken a stance? Uh, yes, we have, and we are totally aligned and supportive with the position you took on September the 11th. We think that is a, a right step. That I put forward as a concept. Yes. Correct. Okay. Okay. Let me take a look. Mr. President, it is no secret that you have great instincts, and your first instinct on solving this problem of the youth vaping epidemic um, we and, and I think many people in this room believe is the right one and that is ridding the market of all of these flavors including menthol flavor and mint flavor because it's the flavors that have hooked the kids. My name is Harold Wimmer. I'm the president and CEO for the American Lung Association and on behalf of our organization I want to thank you for your leadership in bringing this issue to the public light uh, that it needed to be and for also for you to also help us focus this on the kids and, and to really work uh, on this regarding the addiction that kids have on, on e-cigarettes now. And what is your position, may I ask? Uh, it's sim very similar to what you proposed on September 11th to ban all flavored e-cigarette products. Good, thank you. So, gentlemen, Tony, you first. <laughs> <laughs> what is the common thread amongst all that? Uh, ban and instincts. Uh, clearly, uh, the groups that are opposed to e-cigarettes and flavors in particular, um, all were, I think, anxiously trying to make sure the president knew that they thought he was right before. Um, and they clearly had a common theme that they were trying to push. It was pretty apparent from their opening statements. Uh, they came back to it kind of throughout the discussion as well. Um, but at the end of the day, it was pretty clear that um, the president, as you heard him say in the clip, uh, when they tried to kind of pigeonhole him into that being his position, he said something to the effect of it was kind of a concept that he had put out there. So uh, without question, there's been some rethinking in the White House. Uh, prior to this meeting. And so the ultimate question is, what is going to happen as a result of this meeting? Uh, did the conversation in the room kind of change his uh, perspective? Uh, and if so, how? Was it uh, contentious? Because it's certainly been described that way by some in the media. Yeah, some of the media, I think, uh, had their uh, adjectives and hyperbole ready to go. Uh, yes, it was contentious at times. Uh, it was, I would call it a spirited or a robust discussion. But um, again, the industry was well represented, and we made sure that the opponents of this industry, which really do play fast and loose with the truth and fast and loose with facts, uh, were called to task for that. Uh, we did not let uh, them get away uh, with those misstatements without making it clear to the president that there was clear disagreement. Even if we didn't get a chance to kind of state alternative facts, 
there were numerous times, and I'm not sure if you could hear them on camera, but certainly even after the cameras left, where we just pointed out, and and given the position that I was sitting in, I was able to just state to the president across the table that that is simply incorrect, Mr. President. So was he buying what they were selling? That's hard to tell. I think that what was most interesting was that when they made repeated pleas that were based upon certain statements, uh, that he kind of brought it back to a bigger picture issue. And the bigger picture issue that you heard throughout his throughout the discussion was the fact that if we ban these flavors, there's going to be all kinds of counterfeit products that will sweep, be swept into the market. And that use of the term counterfeit is obviously, and, and then black market was also discussed, is very, very significant because as one is looking to solve one public health problem, they certainly do not want to create another public health problem. And he did allude to that uh, during the meeting. So that was, I think, the most significant factor. Uh, and there was not a good answer from the other side, except at one point in the meeting said, well, you'll always have to worry about a black market, which, of course, is just simply not true. Yeah, I had definitely. That's what I was getting out of all that, too. John, do you have a comment you want to make on this? Because I've got a, a clip teed up here ready to go uh, with the president uh, hitting that uh, prohibition hammer hard. But uh, I Yeah, you know, Tony, I think, hit the nail on the head. And uh, I'm a big Donald Trump fan. I think everyone knows that. And, you know, he was in that room to make a deal. He knew where one side stood. He knew where the other side stood. We just lost a big guy. Sorry, lost my audio there for a second. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think one side came very prepared to make a deal, and that would be our side. And the other side, I think, came completely ill-prepared to make a deal, and they wanted to double down on their kind of original concept of what they wanted to happen. And uh, I think Donald Trump saw right through that, and uh, I look forward to seeing what comes out of the White House this week, hopefully. What I was a bit stunned uh, what, over was that they actually thought somehow that playing the sycophant was going to somehow endear themselves to Donald Trump. Where have they been for the last three years? Yeah, uh, let me. So uh, one thing that I noticed throughout the meeting was that um, they tried to appeal to emotion over and over and over again. And the president, you know, the businessman that he is, almost was like, you know, stop. What's your solution? He didn't want to hear the stories. He wanted to hear the solutions because that's what they were there to solve. And I don't think the other side brought that. Yeah, well, I mean, we do know and, you know, my viewers certainly know where I stand on that uh, because it always is the emotion. Uh, OK, so let's go to that clip first, actually, because I want to because uh, we've got plenty of the business end of things here to do. So instead, let's do this. I understand this is an important conversation about jobs, but I'm here because our group represents millions of families of moms all across this country and dads across this country and grandparents. You can go to any state in this country and ask people with children. This is what people are worried so about. So what do you like as a solution? 
So I will tell you that this is a generation of children that would otherwise not have been initiated into tobacco use. And we know that because the youth use figures were at the lowest they'd ever been before Juul came on the market with their patented nicotine salt technology with huge amounts of nicotine going to the brain so quickly. That's why the kids talk about the head rush. This addiction is severe addiction. This is enormous amounts of nicotine, so much more than in combustible cigarettes. And parents are terrified. We hear this every day from people all across the country, all walks of life, in cities, in suburbs, in the country. And they feel like they've lost their kids. Straight A students are flunking out of school. Athletes, star athletes can't run a mile. And what I hear over and over, what we hear all the time is, I, I don't recognize my child. The bout of anger, the pain, parents are in pain, and we need you. So what, are your, uh, what is your solution? I'm, our solution I mean, is your, your solution. solution. Just ban it, right? No, no, because no, we are no, but not. But if you had the real solution, just ban it, right? No, that's not correct. Uh, what's your solution? My solution is what you had the right instinct for at the beginning which is the flavors have hooked the kids. So take the flavors, leave tobacco flavor for My adults. My original suggestion. Your original suggestion, your instinct was right. Go ahead. Leave to, you know, we're not prohibitionists. Leave tobacco flavor for adults. Because in the end, it's not there yet, but if the science ultimately proves that yes, this is going to help people quit, then they should have that right. We have no interest in telling adults what to do. I don't think the science is there yet. I, I think that it's, we need more data. It's actually, I do want to clarify for everyone's benefit, a lot of statements have been made about uh, e-cigarettes and those as harm reduction uh, devices. There has been no evidence presented to the FDA to that fact. Any manufacturer who makes that claim will be enforced against. And so you may think there's that evidence. That evidence does have to, and that is exactly the process the Tobacco Control Act requires, is bringing forth that evidence in the context of the pre-market authorization. That would be part of that process. So that was the, uh, I couldn't help but keep uh, the HHS secretary uh, at the end there because it was just so tightly woven. The first person speaking was Meredith uh, Berkman, I think it is, from PAVE. And so that's the, definitely the hysterical parent that's out there. And she's sitting at the table with the president and, and everybody on the medical side, she's sitting right beside uh, the president of the American Medical Association, which just uh, right after uh, President Trump announced, well, the White House announced that they weren't going to be initiating the ban right away. And it look, didn't look good. This was, I th even think, before this meeting was even scheduled. And the AMA voted to, uh, uh, to make an appeal to say, you know, all e-cigarettes and vaping devices off the market. So <clears throat> it was just crazy. So, Tony, let me ask you this. Yeah. Two questions. One, let's start with the HHS secretary. Mm -hmm. Is that really correct? I thought that the FDA during the FDA NGO versus FDA case had plenty of stuff and testimony and paperwork filed with the court that attested to some of the efficacy of vaping. Yeah, I think what we've been seeing, <clears throat> excuse me, is is a slightly revisionist history. Let's let's remember the messaging from HHS over the course of the last few months, in particular, has been that all of a sudden these products are all illegal. I mean, they they have been repeatedly saying 
reminding the public, reminding the press that all of the products on the market are illegal, even though it is HHS itself which is administering that illegal sale of these products. <clears throat> that gives you a sense as to how they've had to move in terms of their message uh, to such an extreme position because they do know a few things. One is that more and more science is coming out that demonstrates efficacy, uh, <clears throat> more and more uh, surveys, more and more actual science. Uh, they know what the results are in England. They just choose to ignore them. Uh, and so what he tries to boil this down is to process that at this juncture, no one has filed materials with the FDA or science with the FDA to demonstrate cessation type claims because he knows that the PMTA process itself isn't complete yet. The deadline has not, uh, has not been reached yet. And of course, he's not going to disclose anything that was already submitted uh, in uh, Reynolds's um, submission recently. So that's where we're at. We're at a situation where we have the HHS secretary speaking in, in such broad terms uh, about the inefficacy of these products, even though his own FDA Center for Tobacco Products director and the former commissioner of the FDA have both said how important these products are as harm reduction products and how much of a public health benefit it would be uh, to moving people off of cigarettes and how that is something that we need to promote. Uh, so I think what we're looking at is um, messaging in the moment. So I agree with you on that. I mean, they're definitely backtracking, and that is, the, you know, certainly clear. Back to the hair on fire. How? What was it like? Now, now I need to get you to channel a little bit of your inner John for me. What was it like <laughs> to sit there surrounded by hair on fire? Well, some of these claims are. I mean, I've never heard them before. And look, I'm a parent. I've got three teens. I've got three teens at a public high school in a suburban area. And um, so we do hear stories about vaping in schools. We know that it is an issue. Uh, but to this extent, this is a new one. This was a new one to me. Um, and to have that laid on the table in the way that it was, uh, I think just seemed it just seemed to be overreaching. Um, and, uh, you know, this this concept of kids flunking out of school uh, so, so rapidly, again, suggests, but it was on par with a lot of the other statements. I, I can't tell you, in that meeting, the number of kids that were addicted to nicotine went from 5 million to 6 million in the course of one hour, if you listen to all of the different statements. And we're not talking about users anymore or just how prevalent their use is, they're all addicted. Um, and it's just, it's shocking how fast and loose some of these folks were with the facts. And the other observation I will make is this, everything that, every story that was told is an anecdote. And if I don't need to remind anybody who's listening here how anecdotes apparently don't matter to HHS because anecdotes of people quitting smoking are just that. They're anecdotes and they are not science. So if one were to be consistent and apply the a similar standard, then these stories that were related in the manner in which they were related don't rise above anything short of an anecdote. If it wasn't for double standards, Tony, progressives wouldn't have any standards at all. <laughs> John, I hand that to you. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, I completely agree with your last statement, by the way, because it seems like, um, you know, progressives in general and the people on the other side of this just kind of rely on chaos and anecdotes to prove their point. And um, this is why I'm so happy we have the president that we do have, because at the end of the day, uh, he wants to sit at that table, you know, sift through all the BS, come to a decision on how we can actually solve this problem but also keep this available for all the adults that rely on this technology to keep them from smoking cigarettes. And, um, you know, I don't, I personally don't think that meeting could could have gone any better. And I don't think we could have been any more well represented at that meeting. Yeah. I think that, you know, you would have to be, if you were, if you are, if you are a uh, vapor mm -hmm. and you know, you're and passionate about this issue, you're not just on the sidelines and you are not, predisposed to be on side with President Trump, but right. know this issue very well. And if you watch that whole hour and, and, and pay close attention to the president, you'd realize he was there. He was right there and he was playing his Trump game. He was, and he wasn't playing both on both sides either. He was, you know, when you see him on some issues that maybe you're not really following your passion about, and he's just kind of doing a, you don't know whether if he's there or not, or if he's checked mm -hmm. out. But I realized, I mean, that was technique. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was very interesting to see him operate in the room. And a lot of people uh, uh, would criticize uh, the president for his manner of engagement and whether he was engaged. Um, I've talked to other people uh, who are inside the administration. They have never seen a meeting quite like this. This is kind of a first. And um, it is quite remarkable, given the fact that one of the biggest problems that we have had with this issue is that people on either side are not talking to each other, number one. Number two, the government is not talking to advocates on either side. These quote-unquote listening sessions are, frankly, um, borderline useless in the sense that, sure, they take in information and then they take it back with them, but what do they do with that information? How do we get to a resolution on an issue? And to what John was saying earlier, it was very clear that he was interested in, is there a solution here and what is it? And that, as you heard him ask me directly, do you have a solution? And the answer was, of course, yes. And to alluding also to what John was saying earlier, uh, the other side didn't seem to have solutions other than the ban. Uh, and that was very apparent, and he was very attuned to that. And you could hear that in the clip that you played when he asked uh, the representative from PAVE about whether or not, if she had her way, it would just be a ban. And she, of course, tried to answer that with something less than a ban, but it was pretty clear that that's what they're going for. True. Uh, that's true, because th there was not an answer to that question. Mm -hmm. So, all right, so I'm mindful of our time, and I know that we've only got about a half an hour left or so here, and I, I've got more questions, but sure. I do want to uh, play some more of our prepared clips that we've got. So uh, let me just cue that up, because I think it's important, for one, because I want to make fun of Romney, <laughs> and, and second of all, uh, I think it's just very, you know, uh, illuminating to see exactly how he's reacting to this. So this one is a long one. This is gonna be the longest one of our clips, but let's, let's get this played right now so we get it in, in, under our belt. Um, let me just kind of set this up in one particular way because uh, there is gonna be more uh, Mr. Romney coming 
Now, uh, Mitt Romney is a senator. He's Utah, I believe. Correct. Utah. Yeah, that's right. And um, so uh, for my audience out there, when I incessantly blame everything on progressives and those of you who are on the left and go, right? And I remind you that <laughs> it's not just on the left. Progressivism crosses both sides. And you're like, I don't understand what he's talking about. He's just a Trump guy and he's beating up on the left. <laughs> no, I'm not being a Trump guy beating up on the left. Progressives are on the right too. And Senator Romney is an exact example of a progressive on the right. And notice- Poster child. Sounds. Yes, poster child. <laughs> and notice how he sounds just like these whining lefty progressives. So that's my little dig here for the moment, but it's true. This is on the right progressivism. Over 9,000 people. 70% of youth, according to the National Youth Tobacco Survey, get their vapor products from social sources, friends, family, or other people that are 18 years or older. Only 8.4% get 10,000 stores selling these things. 10,000 stores. The kids are overwhelmingly being able to get these by virtue of 10,000 stores only selling flavors. Not, not, not the vape shops. The vape shops are typically adult-only shops, Mr. President. It turns out the most recent. So it's it's very important for you for you to realize this. Separate and apart from the convenience stores and the gas stations where kids typically frequent, there is a whole separate distribution chain that has grown up, which is a vape shop that is that is supplied by a distributor that is supplied by a manufacturer. And this is the new vapor and industry, the not the old tobacco industry. And when you purchase, that is not that is not accurate. So, so flavors are an issue. They are attractive to you, the kids. How about the children? Yes, sir. We've got almost six million kids addicted to nicotine. And they're getting addicted to nicotine because of flavors. 66% of the kids addicted to these products are saying they didn't even know it had nicotine in it. They thought it was just a candy type product. It's, a, it's the flavor that's drawing the kids in. It's a health emergency. I salute the fact that Jewel has said, we're taking these products off the market because we care about our kids. The kids and the adults, the adults have access, the adults have access to menthol products through Jewel. They have a, 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 a tobacco flavored products. So that's but putting out, putting out cotton candy flavor and, and, and what is it, unicorn poop flavor. I mean, look, this is, this is kid product. Uh, we have to put the kids first. Well, we're talking about 151,000 jobs. A, a, a economic impact analysis that we just put out this morning from John Dunham Associates concluded that over 13,000 small businesses would close if you implement a flavor ban. And 150 a flavor ban. Correct. And if you would do that, they would also eliminate 151,000 jobs. That's, that's, just not, that's, just, that's just not right. That's well, that's, that's just the not, analysis. I'm sorry. That's that just not right. I'm sorry. I'm an economist. So I'm not an economist. That's terrific. That's terrific. I've looked at the data, and the data says there are approximately 10,000 vaping shops. All right? So you got 10,000 shops, four employees, all right, four employees per. All right, four full-time equivalent employees per. That's 40,000 employees. You're leaving it's out the manufacturers and Hold on. Right. That the, the, the convenience stores. They sell a lot of products. They're not going to go out of business because they don't have flavors. That's, all right. That's right. So it's the vaping shops. They're not all. I finish, please. Yeah. So, so those they're not all going to all go out of business because they can't sell flavors. They're not all going to go out of business. Some may. That would be unfortunate, but some may. But don't recognize if there are fifty thousand employees, full-time equivalents in vaping shops, mm -hmm. you've got five and a half million kids. You're talking about a hundred kids addicted for one employee. Typically, minimum wage. I put the kids first, all right? It's 100, over 100 kids 
per full-time equivalent employee. But these are the these are the shops, and this is the sector of the industry that has grown up to compete with cigarette companies. You have a new industry that is competing for the first time for the cigarette smoker, trying to yank them off of that cigarette. And so we have to do both things. There is no reason we can't do both things in this country. But if you eliminate flavors, according to this report, because flavors make up about 85 to 90 percent of their sales, they will go out of business. There is no question about that, because no small business owner could take that kind of hit to their revenue. How does Joel feel about that? He's saying you're going out of business. Basically, you're Jewel. saying Jewel. No, no. Well, why is Jewel not going out of business if he doesn't do flavors? They're the, they're the big guys. Investment capital. They can wait it out. They can wait a year, two years to go back to having the market share they have today. So what's your game? Like I said earlier, I think this is a science-based uh, evidence argument that we look forward to making. We think preserving this opportunity for adult smokers who can't quit to have an option is really important. That's the mission of our right. company. Right. This youth issue, we felt, and we were a part of it, we had to address it. As a leader, we took the tough steps to change our portfolio. So you really think flavors are very dangerous then, in terms of uh, addiction <laughs> and other things? I think flavors can play a role for adults to make a transition. The issue is kids get access to the flavors. The data is supported. So That's if why you're out of it, and if we take them out of it, who's going to take your place? No. Counterfe counterfeit. Counterfeit. No. Counterfeit. You're going to have counterfeiters, and that gets dangerous, right? So. Boom. A lot, a lot there. Yeah. So Jewel doesn't seem to really at all defend flavors, do they? Uh, no, but that's not really surprising. I mean, they, when when you literally let yank your products off of the market, that should send a signal to everybody that uh, uh, that's not the product that you're gonna that's gonna carry you into the future. Right, John. What do you think of uh, Senator Romney there? Look, Mitt Romney is probably one of the worst politicians I've ever met. He's uh, like a crony capitalist to the core. Uh, I have no inside information here, but in my opinion, he was probably bought and paid for by Jewel to represent what they want to happen. And I think that uh, Tony and Greg did an excellent job answering them. Uh, Tony was sitting there with a, a, a data from an economist. You know, this is something you cannot dispute. This is fact. And he went out on a ledge and tried to say that that wasn't accurate. I mean, if that doesn't give you an ind indication as to how out of touch this guy really is, I don't know what does. Um, you know, and he's so far on the wrong side of this issue that I think in the history books, he's going to go down as just an uh, inept politician who just didn't know how to handle sophisticated, complex problems. Yeah. Well, I, I, that, sorry, Tony, go ahead. I was going to say that moment, actually, we planned for. Uh, so we had done the full economic impact analysis of the vapor industry, if you remember, uh, last year, and it was released um, uh, this year that enabled us and, ha and continues to enable us to give real statistics and real facts about the size and the relevance of the vapor industry. But as we were proceeding towards a flavor ban, we asked, asked our economists to fine tune that analysis to examine the real impact of a flavor ban. And what was amazing was that his analysis basically said exactly what we had anticipated, which is that this is going to shut down the entire industry. And that is why we wanted to, and we released this on that morning, the results of that economic impact analysis so that I could use it at the meeting in the manner in which uh, we did. I did not anticipate, of course, that Senator Romney would be the individual to try to take down 
uh, the the or or to to run the counter economic impact analysis on the back of an envelope. Uh, but um, I was very happy that we had done what we done and the way that we had done it so that uh, we could lay those facts out for the president. Sure. And for somebody who, you know, appears to be pro-business, seemed to be very callous about the number of jobs that would get destroyed with this and, and certainly didn't want to hear any argument about all of the ancillary jobs that go just go with it. All he wanted to do was talk about the stores and the four mm -hmm. When he said four full-time equivalent employees, right. the president <clears throat> had a look on his face. It was like, gotcha. I mean, mm. honestly, the way I see that is that one of the reasons why the president wanted Romney there so Romney could make a fool of himself. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting. And, and look, Mitt Romney, it's no secret, is no friend to President Trump, right? And uh, in my opinion, I think President Trump gets the better side of that argument every single time. So... In a way, him being there actually was good for us. A lot of people looked at that situation like it was a net negative. But right. I, there, there's not one other person in politics I would rather have sitting next to the president in that meeting than Mitt Romney. No, I, right. totally, I totally agree. Uh, if there was somebody that was a close confidant of the president, um, uh, that would have been a much different dynamic, I think, uh, than, than, the, than the dynamic that existed and that you saw play play itself out. Uh, so it was very interesting that he was there. Um, but I think that at the end of the day, again, facts are stubborn things, right? And that's why having real facts and, and uh, is, is, is extremely important in this scenario. Yeah, facts do matter. Seems to only matter for one side, however. That's true. Okay, next one. American Medical Association commends you for the stance you took, and I think you have an opportunity here to save a generation from addiction. We know that the youth are attracted to these flavored cigarettes, and to those who argue that e-cigarettes are effective smoking cessation, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force has not found the evidence. They examined the evidence and has not found the evidence among adults that these products work for smoking cessation. And if they have the evidence, then they should take it to the FDA, where we can evaluate, the FDA can evaluate, and we can all make decisions based on science and the evidence. Well, wouldn't you say it's a lesser problem than smoking cigarettes? I mean, they say that, you know, the e-cigarettes, you stop smoking and it's better. You don't think so, Sally? No, sir. Thank you, Mr. President. No, it, nicotine addiction is not good. It's bad for the children's brains. It affects so them with their attention. It affects okay. their... How does that compare, let's say, to normal smoking of cigarettes? What you're talking Neither about? Neither one are good. They don't want to answer that question because they don't want to admit that if an adult smoker switches to vaping, that they greatly benefit their health. The Royal College of Physicians, Public Health, England, even your own former commissioner, Scott Gottlieb, has stated smokers who switch improve their health. Sure. That's why they have to options. The difference is, the kids who are using these products are not kids who are smokers, and they're very often not kids who would have become smokers. So that the measurement of the risk for these kids it is consistent with all of the government studies. These aren't our figures. Um, okay, Tony, go ahead. 
I'm sorry, that, that's just not an accurate st statistic. It's less than 1%. Uh, most of the kids who have, have tried this product have already tried cigarettes or some other tobacco product. These are kids that have at-risk behaviors, and that is why, yes, we have but to do plenty of people. I'm sorry, but that's a false statement. I'm sorry, but that is a completely false statement. You tell us a Mormon state. Half the kids at high school are vaping. All right. They were going to use these products. That's why we have to have a complex solution that also preserves. I'm throwing this to you first here, John, for some uh, response. Uh, so, I mean, just ridiculous coming from the other side. And Matt Myers in particular, I mean, he is, in my opinion, just plain evil. He uses statistics, not even statistics, he just makes stuff up to his advantage and he'll twist the truth to try to get his agenda across and his agenda is I think very plain and clear uh, you know he wants to ban everything make sure his uh, foundation stays funded and it could keep going and you know I think President Trump saw right through that personally yeah Tony uh, body language of the president mm -hmm. um, and you were closer to him than others yeah. were in that room um, and easier to make for him to make eye contact uh, yes Describe that. Uh, clearly, in a situation like this, it, it, it is important to obviously uh, mirror your uh, the person on the other side of the table and to be able to understand and read the body language. Uh, there were clearly times where uh, that body language was telling. And I think that, you know, in a situation like this, uh, you cannot let the other side, even if they yell louder, uh, uh, get away with saying that facts that are incorrect and without laying out the alternative. And the good thing is that we were able to be vocal enough. You heard Greg jump in there uh, and you heard me get in there and we made it clear what the, what the real issues were. And at the end of the day, you have to keep bringing it back to what the president can and should be doing, which is doing both things, protecting kids as well as protecting choice for those adults who need flavors and or want flavors to help them get off of smoking cigarettes. And while the other side only wants to focus on one side of the issue, we are focusing on both sides of the issue. And I think that came through very clearly throughout the discussion. And look, so you, uh, go ahead, sorry, John. you know, uh, and one thing that President Trump, I think, and he's, he's very observant in this fact, he wanted to get a feeling in the room about is vaping better than smoking you know he threw that right out there mm -hmm. and the other side just stumbled over their answer you know they couldn't give him a clear answer and i think uh greg and tony did an excellent mm -hmm. job of being very clear as to yes it is and this is a net public health benefit without overstepping the line and what was interesting is that senator romney was actually nodding yes when we were talking about uh when greg was talking about that Vaping is being used to help adults get off of cigarettes. And uh, you could see him nodding. And actually, the president turned to him while he was nodding yes. So it was an interesting kind of affirmation of that fundamental point. And in that sense, uh, that could be very helpful to us because he understands that Senator Romney is against us. But on that key fundamental point is, is this helping adults? Perhaps that moment helped as well. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And and it certainly seemed that the concophony of voices and stuff like that, that were all on that one side that were it, like an immovable object uh, was tough. I know that you handed, 
your uh, 21 and done uh, to the president at some point, right? You made sure yeah. you, you got the plan in his, in his hands, right? Yes, yes. After the media left, we had continuing discussion. So you guys got to listen and hear um, a big portion of the discussion. But we had uh, some, some substantial discussion even after uh, the media left. And we went through, at, uh, at one point, I was able to, to take him through some of the high points of our 21 and done plan, uh, and then also was able to hand it directly to him uh, at the end of the meeting, because uh, he asked for a plan. I said, we have the plan, Mr. President, and I, and I uh, slid it over to him, and he took it with him. That's excellent news. So um, we have one more clip, uh, and then I want to finish off with a couple of questions for you, Tony, and then let you uh, take off. And then John and I are going to stick around and uh, commiserate a little bit about uh, progressivism. <laughs> I have a feeling it's going <laughs> to. With lot, this happened to me on Monday or Tuesday. I was on with Tristan Thompson, and then we ended up ha having the whole second half as a whole other episode called "Down the Rabbit Hole." So be careful, John. All right. So one one last one because it's important. The first little bit of it is just a, a, a the replay of. Uh, what Greg was saying regarding the lung illness and then finishing off a soundbite with critical stuff about moving forward and that'll be our talking about what's next, Tony. So here we go. Mr. President, your instincts on September 11th were correct, but facts and the situations change. On September 11th, you were under the impression what the CDC was saying was that vaping, vaping in general, was killing people. But now we know from the CDC that their main focus of their investigation, it's not store-bought nicotine products. It's not the companies that Tony Abood represents. It was illicit THC oil cartridges sold by drug dealers. And so right now, it's important that you know Michael Bloomberg, who is no friend to your presidency, he is funding $160 million to try to ban these flavors. And many people in this room are the recipients of those monies. So they are not here uh, with the position of we can come to a compromise. They have money specifically to get these products banned. And the 10,000 plus small businesses, they can't survive with just tobacco and menthol. They age restrict. They only allow adults in their store. So what would you do? Uh, I think we need to raise the age to 21. We need bulk sales purchase limits. We need marketing uh, restrictions. We, and also, most importantly, there is in May of 2020, every single vaping product on the market has to go through what's known as a pre-market review. That's going to cost several million dollars per product. So even if we solve this crisis today, which I hope we do, in five, six months, we're back where we started with potentially only the largest multi-billion dollar companies being able to survive. And Tony, there it is. Um, that's been, I uh, wrote a column on Monday, and that was the end point of this whole thing for me, is that the industry has to take advantage of this opportunity right now and get a plan to the president that handles the issue on all these e-juice companies that are out there in the US that are not gonna be able to go through this PMTA process the issue in terms of proving net benefit to public health, I mean, that's been ridiculous since day one. You know, I mean, you can't on one side say you're, this product's killing kids, and then on the other, here, give us a million dollars and we'll pass it through our regulatory process. Yeah, so, I mean, look, we have been focused on this issue for, for quite some time, and uh, up until September 11, when the president made his announcement, that was our singular focus. As you know, we filed a lawsuit against the FDA uh, to address the uh, 
process in which they've been uh, mismanaging the PMTA uh, and the rule itself. The rule itself, of course, is still uh, not finalized, so we do not have final instructions on what is to be included in a PMTA application. Uh, and so we were working very aggressively on that issue uh, because that was the ultimate, as Greg pointed out, uh, the, the, the death knell for, for the industry. Obviously, September 11 came along and created this immediate emergent uh, and new existential threat because, if you recall, they said they were going to publish their guidance and 30 days after they published that guidance, all flavors would effectively be banned. Uh, and that would have been a more immediate uh, uh, existential threat to the industry. And so we had to pivot and we had to focus our energies on changing the mind of the administration, which, as you know, we did through a number of different ways. We ran a digital campaign, VaporsDoVote.com. We uh, ran digital ads uh, around one of Trump's major rallies in Dallas, uh, where, his, where all the mobile devices, including that of his campaign staff, were being hit with our ads. Uh, we went up on TV with our very first television ad, uh, re uh, uh, reminding the president that his FDA was about to ban flavors and that would end 150,000 jobs. Uh, we went up on TV with our second television ad, which was the first I Vape, I Vote ad ever run, um, in which we had two voters from Ohio uh, say, look, we voted for you before, Mr. President, but we can't vote for you again. And then, of course, we did the polling data that has been used so broadly uh, and that poll was conducted by one of the president's, te president's team's main pollsters, uh, which demonstrated vapors are one-issue voters. And then you had, of course, the, the United Vapors Alliance rally in D.C., which you covered so well. Uh, it was moving on uh, a perfect trajectory to the moment where uh, it became clear shortly thereafter that the president needed to rethink the policy. So here is what I think is extremely important about all of this. PMTA is such a very difficult issue to, to get your head around, and it's such a mercurial uh, issue for anybody who is not deeply involved in the process. And it is extremely hard to advocate on this particular issue because of that. The opportunity that's been created now with the president being deeply involved with respect to the flavor ban gives us the chance to say and gives him the chance to say, I am not going to let this industry go under. It is too significant. It is a big industry, but it's made up at one point, I said during the discussion, uh, it is a big business made up of small businesses. And, um, and if we can get the president to stand up and say, we're going to address the youth issue in a way that isn't going to shut down this industry, that is a huge development because it is laid down a marker then for his appreciation for and defense of this industry. And that will enable us to directly address the importance of PMTA. In other words, if the president does not is not willing to let this industry go under today, he should not be willing to let it go under in just a few months from now, as Greg was pointing out so expertly. Exactly. That's exactly it, right? If, if, it, if the jobs are too important today, they're doubly important in May once the election is actually going in 2020. So right. real quickly then, Tony, let me ask you this. Um, in a way, in a way, uh, I believe that uh, the progressives have overplayed their hand. They mm -hmm. dropped this right on the lap of Trump. They, woke, they almost had him hoodwinked. Now he knows that. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm yeah. I'll be surprised if if uh, Azar is not gone 
You know, I, I so many people leave that administration uh, for so many reasons. I will not be surprised if the HHS uh, secretary is gone. So anyhow, that's another thing. But let me well, ask you this. Just, just Sorry, a funny, funny anecdote. And I, I don't know if this was while the press was in the room or not. But uh, at one point, uh, uh, I think it was Miss Conway brought up the fact that one of the groups at the table, uh, you know, had recommended firing um, uh, Secretary Azar, and that that was not appreciated. And the president glibly said something to the effect of, "Well, maybe that's the best idea I've heard all day." And so there was kind of some levity in the room. So who the heck knows? Uh, you never know in a situation like this exactly what he's thinking. But um, there's no question that that given where he was positioned on the issue, and by positioned I mean where his people put him on the issue back in early September. And what has happened since then and what his deeper understanding of the issue means to him, uh, I think that there is clearly some tension uh, and, and that tension is forcing them to come up with an alternative solution. And that is what I think was at the genesis uh, uh, for, this, for this remarkable meeting. So he's the boss. I mean, all the regulatory agencies are all under the executive. They work for President Trump. Mm -hmm. So he can actually affect change uh, and, and make a process, will go right around a process if he wants, right? So isn't that actually the goal now, the real goal? Yeah, well, here's what's interesting. Agencies have certain uh, uh, regulatory authority that is given to them by statute. In this case, there are certain provisions of the PMTA that are ensconced in statute and can only be changed by a change in the statute, which would require an act of Congress. Major portions of the PMTA process are purely regulatory. They were adopted uh, by regulations that the FDA uh, created themselves. And what is fascinating about the way that FDA has managed this entire process is that at all stages, it wants to have as broad a regulatory authority as it can get for itself. That is generally the approach that most agencies take uh, that allows them to act in ways that they want uh, without, without oversight. Right now, they have acted in such ways that has now put an entire industry kind of on the precipice. Uh, and unfortunately, over the course of the last few years, rather than focusing on a very thoughtful and a, I don't want to say progressive in the context that you're thinking of it, but progressive in the sense of forward thinking um, uh, in terms of how to deal with a new industry, uh, they have consistently just kind of fallen back on the old way. Uh, and that is what's been most unfortunate because with this industry, the PMTA process is like trying to ram a square peg into a round hole. And it doesn't matter how hard you try to do that. It's not going to work. So I, it is our hope and it is certainly going to be our mission that we leverage the current level of discussion and the current understanding of this issue and what it means to not just businesses, but to the people of the United States who are relying upon these products to make it clear that a change needs to be made, that there must be accommodations for small businesses, because at the end of the day, if you eliminate all those small businesses, you eliminate competition, you benefit only the largest big tobacco companies, and that's just not the American way.
Right. And Tony, last question. Was the meeting and what you've been doing since uh, September 11th and the lung scare overall, was this meeting a slam dunk? Uh, I, you know, there's no slam dunks, not in this world, certainly not. Um, and as a guy who stands five foot eight, I have never seen myself a slam dunk. So um, as hard as I, as high as I try to jump, uh, what I do know is that working together that we can and have already begun to move the dialogue and to change the narrative in a very material and significant way. And as we continue to lead on this issue and have our voices heard as they were at the table, you had three vapor industry representatives at that table. Um, and it was a big table and a big moment and in a big room. Uh, and the president himself was fully engaged. I think we are at, at the pinnacle of our ability to impact uh, decisions and uh, and we are going to continue to leverage any any tools that we have any resources that we have uh, to kind of drive this issue to what is a an appropriate conclusion I'm very encouraged much more so uh, than I have been frankly in the last two years in terms of where we're going and our ability to get there well that's fantastic and and lastly is there going to be another uh, White House meeting uh, we're unsure about that. There's been some discussion about that. My understanding is that they are, they inside the White House are going to be talking some more, uh, perhaps as early as this week. Uh, and, uh, and that tells me that they have some sense that they need to and want to move with some urgency. I think it's better for all of us if they do move with some urgency and that we do know exactly what, what their next, uh, 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 process is or what they what they decide to do because that will allow us then to take our next steps uh, as opposed to sitting and wondering. I think one of the biggest concerns that we have had is indecision, indecision by the FDA, indecision by HHS, and of course indecision by the administration. So once we know exactly where they're going to come out, that allows us to then uh, take our next steps and we already have many of those planned depending upon uh, you know what happens. Well, that's fantastic. Well, Tony, I want to thank you so much for coming on RegWatch uh, tonight. You've sure. done a bang-up job representing the uh, industry and really fighting the good fight there. Uh, I, I don't think I could have been so well composed as you were uh, with some of those people in the room. So thanks very much. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to hit uh, our Be Right Back slate. Uh, that'll give about three minutes. Uh, we'll say goodbye to Tony offline, and we'll be back with Mr. John Glauser and uh, we'll dance around the rabbit hole. So stand by, stand by. Great job, Tony. Yeah. Thank you for defending this industry as long as you have. Uh, uh, I thanks. can't think of any, anyone better. Absolutely. Awesome, guys. Uh, so three All minutes. Right. All right. All right, guys.
how do how do all right it looks like we are back everybody i'm here with mr john glauser how's it going john yeah tony uh tony's uh tony's loose Yeah, I mean, it must be tough. I mean, obviously, with inside the uh, vaping advocacy world, there's a lot of backbiting that goes on. And, and sometimes it's, you know, for real. And sometimes it's just backbiting. Um, but it does seem that the, the crew is getting it together, even though, you know, it's not united. I'm not a big fan of the united word, right? Everybody in vaping, they keeps going, oh, this time we'll be united. I'm like, people don't unite. You can't unite everybody. Um, but groups can coordinate and work together and be very effective. I think we, um, I think we might have a problem with your audio there, John. Are you muted, um, or is it on my end that that could be the issue? Yeah, we have lost you. Um, you know what? Oh, I know why. Because um, I know why. Just give me a second here. I'm going to fix this right on the fly. Um, this is the first uh, two-person uh, interview we've done, like two people at the same time on Skype, um, where I've deployed a different techno tech uh, different techno technical thing, and you should be fine now. Yeah, I'm getting notes from that. You've got no audio. Yeah, so like um, when we've done the few of these where two people have come in uh, remotely on Skype uh, for the interviews, we've had like really bad like uh, uh, echoing or, or like just noise kind of stuff happening, right? Unable to figure it out. It turns out that you only take one of the people's feeds. And so then, and so both people come in on that one Skype feed. But then if that one person dumps off of the call, then the other person doesn't have any audio. So I just had to add you again. Can you just count to 10, please? Gotcha, buddy. Will ever be feasible or possible. And in all reality, not necessary, right? But we do all need to work together for a common goal. And in my opinion, that goal is uh, the ability to exist in this space. Uh, communication is important. And um, I do believe that we, we do need one voice, though, when it comes to dealing with the political and the government relations side of our part of the industry. Because when you get mixed messages coming from different aspects of different stakeholders in this industry, then you run into a lot of problems, especially when you're dealing with policy. Right. Can I get you to, uh, for our audience, explain a little bit about your business um, and who you are? And before you do that, um, I normally do this, uh, and I would have done it with... Uh, 
with um, Tony on the air, but I know he was cut for time. Everybody, please go to support.regulatorwatch.com and have a think about whether or not you might be able to help support our content. And, of course, we can't do it without your help and with fine companies like Flavor Art, our anchor supporter, and happy to say Demand and Juno, which is Mr. Glauser right there. Everybody give Mr. Glauser a hand. Yay, John, yay. <laughs> So uh, thank you very much, uh, John, for um, stepping in and helping us out at this time. And it's obviously can't do it without anybody, all these help, all the people's help here. Stealth, which has been fantastic out of Canada. And of course, our monthly rock stars, Flavor Crafter, Stinky, love that name. Wendy, you rock, you're the best. All of you guys are fantastic. Uh, and our one-time heroes, we need to add some more one-time heroes here. You guys, American dollars go a long way for us here. <laughs> at Red Canada. Lodge. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So please do uh, have a think. Go to support.regulatorwatch.com. Dig into that wallet. Find a few dollars. You know, toss them our way. You'll be really happy you did it. You'll feel so good about it. And of course, we'll be happy that we can keep making great content. So, John, Demand Vape and Juno. Might as well take a moment to fill people in a little bit about that. Because, uh, you know, as you're commenting about the industry, it'd be good for them to know just how well situated you are. Yeah. Um, well, before I do that, let me give you a plug to uh, Brent. You know, we decided to support you because um, I've come to realize what a, a great service you do for this industry in terms of the content you make, um, you know, the travel, making sure that you're covering all the necessary uh, information that really does need to get out there more effectively and efficiently. So thank you for that thank as you, well. Sir. Uh, so please, please support uh, Regulator Watch. I, I firmly believe it's a, a pivotal tool in our arsenal to keep moving forward. Um, uh, back to my company. So uh, right now, um, Demand Vape has become Demand Vape over time. We didn't start that way, but we're mainly a distribution company, and uh, we operate in the United States. Uh, we have you know anywhere from 3,500 to 5,000 vape shops that we service. Um, we've always concentrated on the vape shop segment uh, we stayed out of the other uh, distribution channels um, you know for a purpose uh, uh, we, we we've ma we made the conscious decision to put our stake in this side of the industry and uh, looking back I'm happy we did so and uh, Juno is actually a, a close pod device similar to Juul uh, that we developed uh, back in late 2015 early 2016 uh, at, no it was a little after that right after the uh, deeming Rex hit I went down there to China and we developed that product specifically for the PMTA after knowing what we were dealing with. Uh, but we also made the conscious decision to keep that in the vape shop channels. Um, you know, we, me and my partners were fortunate to, to look forward and see, or at least take an educated guess as to how this was probably going to play out in terms of, um, you know, what channels would probably be attacked the most. Um, but just to make it clear, I'm a firm believer that vapor products should be widely available everywhere and anywhere. I'm by no means just like a vape shop person because uh, a smoker that needs to transition to a vapor product should have, should be able to get it wherever it's convenient for them. Um, but as a business, we made that conscious decision because, you know, vape shops are the ones that uh, make up, you know, almost a hundred percent of our business. And uh, we want to stand by them from a business perspective. Yeah, it's just, it's a shame that, uh, you know, they were so able to effectively, uh, you know, push that wedge in and fracture the industry. Uh, it wasn't a hard thing to do because obviously, 
Big Vape, uh, which is the uh, which is what I use, because that's actually a good word to use, right? I don't like to call them Big Tobacco, even though some are Big Tobacco, and whatever portion of Jewel is owned by Big Tobacco. It's Big Vape. They operate like that big... They, there's a way tobacco operates, you know, it's a bit more... I'm trying to choose my words carefully because I don't want to. I don't want to be a raving, uh, hair on fire person. I mean, I could. The word I could use is predatory, right? And that's a can be an accurate word to describe the way in which that uh, tobacco can work. But you know, any. But I also worked for Procter and Gamble for many, many, many years, right? And and they, um, well, can be obviously a big bully and so forth. They don't own the relationship to the store. So, for instance. Uh, the Pringles brand, which I repped all the time and learned very quickly that Frito-Lay um, has it over Pringles every day of the week because Frito-Lay's people actually put those bags uh, on the shelf in the store, every single store, every small little corner store, right? Whereas, you know, um, other products, you know, have middlemen in between. So, you know, definitely uh, tobacco has um, the ability to push around retailers and push around even customers if they want, I guess. But um, I don't know if you are going to uh, try to take 9 million people in the United States of America and get them off of cigarettes. And that's really what you're planning on doing. You need to have uh, vaping devices be ubiquitous. Yeah. And look, at the end of the day, uh, tobacco companies, and this has happened over time, this, you know, they, they didn't spring up overnight to control those channels, but they do. And, um, you know, that's kind of outside our realm of being able to penetrate, you know, they, they own that space. And I don't foresee us ever entering that space. Uh, it's just something that we need to accept. But what I think our se sector of the industry does very well is they convert smokers at a much higher rate and they educate smokers about our products. So I think both sectors of the industry can exist together. And I think they need to exist together. Um, but we can't allow the big tobacco side to just. Batteries. Sorry, I lost my uh, mic. We can't. <laughs> we also can't allow uh, big tobacco to come in and just stomp us out of existence, you know, so. That's why organizations such as the Vapor Technology uh, Association and um, uh, th those type of organizations are so pivotally important because without that layer of protection, it would be uh, just like that, a very easy job for them to do. So guys, I've got uh, my phone here. And so it's not the crazy chat, it's the direct to me. And you got, you got to know which one it is to get me on. Uh, but if you've got any questions you'd like me to ask John, please uh, let me know. So John, what do you think? Well, I was going to ask you what's the biggest threat, but it's just hard to say. The threats come from all sides. So let's dig into some of the politics stuff then, which is where I really like. I mean, I've, I've got, I, I mean, I just, I'm burning. My audience knows this. I'll say it really quickly again. If you don't look around, if you're a progressive and you're a vapor and you believe that the science is poisoned uh, in vaping and you believe that the regulators are lying to you, Right. But then you turn around and you just believe them on climate change. I mean, pack up your vape and go home. Man. Yeah. And, you know, that's a huge issue in our society. And, you know, this, the, like, I'm American. Right. I was born and raised in America. So I'm a firm believer. People should be able to believe whatever they want, express whatever they want and talk about whatever they want. 
Um, you know, one of my biggest issues with uh, progressives, and this isn't a right or left issue, as you said earlier, it's about, it's, it's really a new ideology that I believe has sprung up. And they're really the main driving force that's trying to extinguish our industry right now um, for multiple reasons. But, you know, they're... Oh, that, I agree. That, I agree 100%. Keep on going. Keep preaching. <laughs> <laughs> that, that movement is uh, almost antithetical to everything that we believe in in America, right? Freedom of speech, freedom of choice, freedom, just freedom in general, because it's either agree with me or we're going to shut you up or we're going to, we're going to terminate you. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge proponent. I, I do not advocate for that type of mentality. I, I always want to, um, advocate for, you know, freedom of expression and, uh, healthy dialogue. And, you know, I, I accept their right to, to have their beliefs, but don't tell, the other side that they don't have the right to have their beliefs. And that, that's where I think they go wrong. Yeah, America, America's antithetical to their thinking, right? Um, it's interesting. They, they'll, they'll acknowledge that individuals exist, but they believe that society is prior to the individual. So society came first. And so thus, society must always be the thing that wins out and that's where save the you know save the kids think of the kids that's where that all comes from right yeah and that's uh, it's a very uh, dangerous uh, mindset because you know it's it, you can almost that fda's pmta process is almost the equivalency of this right so you have a technology that helps people i firmly believe that and i'm saying that as myself not my company i do think it's a smoking cessation aid um and that what they're saying is you know you, you cannot sell this technology until you prove to us that it's, it is what you say it is, uh, which is actually the, quite the opposite of how America should work, right? Uh, they, the government should have to prove to us that this is dangerous, that this shouldn't be on the market. And uh, the FDA is just backwards. And I, I, I don't think that that's the American way. And I don't think that's a healthy way. Yeah, well, it's not a liberty way at all. You know, even just basic John Stuart Mill uh, and John Locke uh, kind of things where, you know, and, and as Shapiro, Ben Shapiro says it best, he goes, it's the waving your arm rule, right? I can wave my arms all I want as long as I'm not hitting anybody, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, if you don't hurt, if you're not hurting anyone else, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's like the libertarian, but really it shouldn't be a libertarian perspective. It should be the American perspective because that's, that's what our founding fathers started this um, this country on that, that that idea and that ideology to move forward and have a limited government to govern us to protect us but not to control our lives. That is so true. Uh, let's pull this. Uh, well, because we can spend forever on the politics stuff, or I the love the politics. even the philosophy stuff, right? But there, because I've got you and and I've got in mind the session here on Friday, and I just spent you know several hours yesterday or yesterday, mostly Friday, and a lot today, going through the tape, there was this one woman uh, that was speaking. I'm not sure which um, agency she was from, um, but she mentioned that uh, the kids, um, you know, they've gotten trapped by this. Uh, they didn't know the nicotine was in there, right? And they got addicted. And so 60,000 of these kids are angry and they're mad, and they've signed up for the agency's uh, quit smoking app. And she, so she's saying to the president, she's going, and you know, it's good because they get, they get text in and they, we text them and this is their quit smoking app. And it's just the balls on these people. I mean, these are the failed, failed, failed 
tools that tobacco control has been shoving down smokers' mouths for 20 years. As these are the tools that didn't work, that smokers rejected, that went out and innovated e-cigarettes in the very first place. And then you've got these people who have no idea what they're talking about. They're just this same regurging, you know, of tobacco control. I mean, like an app. So I'm going to get bugged by this app to like, you know, and, and get emotional support from texts and stuff. Like it just seemed unbelievable. That was uh, Meredith, I forget her last name, the PAVE uh, representative that was there, I believe, or I don't know what organization either. But, you know, and, and that whole idea that we have to put uh, kids first above all else, uh, you know, that totally contradicts what the FDA's mission even is, right? It's uh, supposed to be a science-based approach to uh, regulate products. And um, whenever you hear this kid argument, in my opinion, it's, it's, it's the cornerstone of a failing argument. It's like, no, you, you know... You have a losing argument, so you have to appeal to emotion, uh, appeal to authority. Um, you know, my advice to the pave moms is learn how to parent your kids. You know, take them, get get the nanny out of the house and spend some time with them and teach them how you know what they should and shouldn't be doing. I have two kids, albeit they're young, but you know, I can definitively tell you that once they get to the age where they understand, they they are going to understand that I I vape because I made the conscious decision to smoke when I was young, and I do this to not to stay away from a deadly habit. And this is a this is better for me than smoking, but at the end of the day, this is not something that you should do or initiate. And I'll be making damn sure, and I'll be watching you to make sure you don't initiate using these products. Why do you think uh, that part, I, our viewers are furious. Um, they get, they're getting more furious every single day uh, because some are calling for you know, if this thing is so bad, make it actually criminally illegal, then charge the kids, charge the parents that are buying it for the kids. Start, you know, putting the responsibility on the kids, which, of course, is completely not a part of this conversation, nor is it for the parents. And, and it was completely absent from the discussion uh, with the president. I do wish that the vape, one of the vaping advocates, any of them, had brought up that, but I'm sure they just would have gotten stomped on. Well, look, and I, I'm this is I'm I'm speaking from my perspective, not a BTA's perspective, sure. um, right now. And you know, th there is a political element that you have to be very conscious of in these meetings. And uh, you know, it's not just like a free for all. There there is strategy behind it. There's certain things you can and you can't talk about in a setting like that to get to your ultimate objective, um, which is very important to realize, right? Sure, and, oh, and, totally, totally. As a uh, individual or, or you know uh, just a person, I'm, I'm free to share my opinions and my thoughts. But no, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know these parents should be held accountable. You know, I mean, I don't expect the government to tell me or to be responsible for my family. In fact, I wish they would get out of my way even more. Uh, and that's just my personal belief. Oh, you know, John. It, oh, John, you're a conservative. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm very conservative on, on some things. I'm. Uh, I, I'll never use the word liberal, right? Because I'm not, but in, on some social aspects, I would say I, I lean more left, but nothing in terms of, uh, you know, I, I mean, no, actually, I, I take that back because it's not, this is not a liberal idea. It's very conservative. I do believe that we need to take care of the less fortunate, but yeah. I need to take the, I need to take the personal responsibility and we all need to take the personal responsibility to do that. The government shouldn't be stepping in and telling people what they should and shouldn't have to do. That's on us. 
No, and the less fortunate have a responsibility to, too, and that's to do everything they can to become less uh, for, uh, unfortunate. I mean, if you want to use the word unfortunate, it's a good word. Some people use poor. So unfortunate, fine, right? Either way. But the bare fact minimum here is that every single person on this planet and humanity, human beings, were born with nothing. We're born poor, right? And so we're all moving our way up. And Absolutely. They don't have any understanding of that. And so the, where everything breaks down is through resentment, envy, um, I mean, just those two. I mean, just the envy and resentment is at the heart of so much of the problems that we have here and, and ingratitude, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, we live, I'm fortunate to live in a country and my mom came from a, a third world country. She emigrated here legally uh, where there's very, very little opportunity. And um, instead of this resentment that you talk about, we should all appreciate that we're from these countries that give us more opportunity than anywhere else in the world. You know, and I see that going the opposite direction, you know, with the FDA, HHS, uh, they're trying to take those opportunities away from us. And, you know, even beyond vaping as, you know, people, we need to come together and prevent them from doing so, whether it's vaping or any other issue for that matter. Um, and that's something I think that our society is getting away from. And we need to we need to double down and concentrate on making sure we have those liberties and that freedom and that opportunity going forward. I do agree. Uh, this is way bigger. This what is happening in vaping. Forget about if it's vaping, the, the substance of it and look at the totality of the totalitarian power play here. When you have the largest public health agencies in the entire world, in the entire world, lying to the entire world about science, about people's illnesses and dying and removing liberty. I mean, this is, this is, I mean, if we're not in China here. This has a massive impact across the entire administrative state, across everything. So, no, this isn't a vaping issue. This is, this is something that's much bigger. Um, vaping is the target right now. But what's the next target is the, is the, is the thing, right? Yeah. It, oh, go ahead, Brian. No, no, I'm just, I just was throwing that out there. Now, um, Something interesting, because just a mindful of our time, because we, we will, even for our viewers, I don't like to drag it out too long, but there's something that I'm trying to recall if I fully talked out. Ah, it's just, it's there, but it, it's, it's just a little off. Um, oh, uh, oh, keep thinking about it. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go, 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 go. Well, you know, I just wanted to go back to the, the meeting with Trump and uh, kind of, you know, how this ties into this overarching theme that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the reason why I say that that meeting couldn't have gone any better for our industry, uh, given the political climate and, you know, the um, how how dangerous this whole issue is to the political side of the Trump administration is what I saw in that room was uh, a president who kept all those ideals in mind about, uh, you know, opportunity and um, not having the government come in and tell us what we can and can't do. Um, it, it really was a beautiful thing. And I think that our side played it perfectly because when you have answers or, you know, you have, um, you have solutions to problems, it, 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 it plays a lot better than just saying we need to stop
kids, 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 and all these bad situations from happening, especially with a person like President Trump. Uh, you know, he, he's not interested in uh, in bans or, you know, all these uh, appeals to uh, motion. He, he wants solutions. And I, I think we did. I know Tony handed him very, very good solutions. Now, the only question is, you know, where is the administration going to land somewhere in between what they want and somewhere in between where we presented most likely, hopefully more towards what we presented. But, you know, I, I could almost guarantee from my perspective that it's going to fall somewhere in the middle there. Well, there is the old saying is that the right solution is the one where both sides of the issue are hated. <laughs> it's not about both getting something that they want. You want to make sure they're both unhappy. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So last question then, which uh, is a bit on the side side thing, back to the politics side, because I do have this. And I wanted to get your thought on it, because I haven't really been able to chance to throw this at somebody softball-wise here. But, like... In this meeting, the parents, they've been, this is a refrain now they've been making uh, ever since September 11th, but even a little bit before that too as well. And that's the argument that their kids are completely indefensible when it comes to nicotine. They have no defense against it. They are ab, they are, they are blubbering idiots. They, for one, with all of the uh, media that's saying even that, that vaping kills you, uh, they still will vape, right? They just can't help it, right? And, and, and as they say, it's growing, it's still growing. There's going to be even more next year. How could there be more next year when you have done, like, hundreds of millions of dollars have gone in to demonize this product? Hundreds of millions of dollars and, and, and millions of man hours are going into educating these kids at school that this thing is bad for them and it's going to kill them. Like, literally. Every single classroom in the United States of America, every single one of them, right? But yet, right, the kids are still, and, and the parents are going, yeah, it's going to keep growing, right? Because they are completely, totally, the kids are, have no defense against nicotine, right? These kids are so vulnerable, yet they're the same ones we're supposed to lower the voting age to, to 16. They're the same kids we're supposed to listen to on climate change and all these other major important social issues. How can you have it both ways? Either these kids are morons, right? Yeah, or, agreed. Or, yeah, it, it's and, and that's the dilemma. But here's the underlying issue to to why all these types of groups exist, right? They always have their agenda, and their agenda is just like anyone else's agenda to survive. So they always have to toe this line of um, let's let's put up a big enough fight that we we at least have the appearance that we're solving the problem, but let's not actually solve the problem because if we solve the problem, we no longer exist. Uh, we don't get funding anymore. We don't have an organization. And uh, that's basically what they operate on all the time. You know, and the idea that these kids are unable to make uh, decisions for themselves and, you know, nicotine is this big, bad, um, indefensible thing. That's just like grabbing their souls and addicting them forever. Uh, you know, even, even kids that are 16 years old have a choice. And parents need to watch their kids. But, you know, the, it, not too many people could grasp the idea that these people want it both ways. And there's one agenda on one side of it, and there's a whole other agenda on the other side of it. But they want their cake, and they want to eat it, too. Um, thankfully enough, I think uh, our president probably does get that idea, uh, for, especially after that meeting. I think it was pretty apparent as to where they stand and what they want to accomplish. 
Oh, totally. Uh, the most dangerous thing for these people was trying to fool them and then and letting them get awake. Because <laughs> there's no doubt he looked across that room and he saw the enemy, right? Yeah. There's just no, no doubt. Yeah, and uh, Greg, I think, did an amazing job in pointing out the 160 million reasons why they can't come to a compromise. Um, you know, that fact alone, I think, put them on the right track. And, uh, you know, President Trump didn't get to where he's at today by um, not being able to read a room properly or not being able to make sound decisions based on people trying to deceive him. So I'm glad that I'm glad that it was him running that meeting. And I don't think we would have had this opportunity with any other president in our history. I agree. And to your point, the pave lady, she wouldn't she wouldn't be at the White House if it wasn't for vaping. So you're right. You know, yeah, they, yeah. Uh, you know. They use these uh, opportunities to catapult themselves into the, the status and this fame. And then, you know, they they constantly, well, in, in, in Pave's case, I think they, they're just looking for uh, something to keep them busy, right? Because most of these are very wealthy uh, housewives that maybe don't have anything else to do. And uh, they need a purpose. And that, that you know, they found their purpose in uh, trying to kill our industry that actually helps save people's lives. So, you know, to me, that's just plain evil. And I, I, I'll, tell them, I'll tell them that right directly to their face if they ever you know if i ever meet them at a um a get together or they're ever outside a, a hearing I'll, I'll straight up tell them that's that's what i think they're doing and you know they need they need to find another avenue to uh, occupy their time because this is not the right way to do it yeah the most dangerous uh thing in the world is a rich white married woman with nothing to do <laughs> you know oddly enough i think that's what started this whole situation right uh you know president trump i think uh isn't doing so well with that crowd in, in the electorate and um you know i think that uh that's kind of and you know we, we should thank him for that because they got him to where we're, we're at now right uh, i think that part of his administration wanted to target that voter base they thought this issue would uh would help win those hearts and souls over and uh it caused this whole storm of problems and it got us to the White House to actually, you know, sit down and plead our case to the president himself. So for that, I do thank the Pave Moms. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. It's uh, crazy how things work out. Well, John, look, thank you very much uh, for coming on RegWatch tonight and for all of your support for RegWatch. And uh, we appreciate it. And I hope our uh, viewers do, too. Brian, thank you for having us. Um, thank you for getting the information out there. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, man. And for all of you guys out there, that is it for this edition of RegWatch. So again, please go to support.regulatorwatch.com, dig into that wallet, find a few dollars, toss them our way. You will feel happy and way better for it if you do that. Ask John. He feels great. And yeah, support <laughs> this guy. He does, not only does he deserve it, but we need him. We need, we need to make sure that his channel stays alive because he, he digs and he gets the information out there. So... Thank if you, you if you like vaping and you want it to continue and you want someone to spread the truth, support Regulator Watch. Thank you very much. And that is it. And on that note, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. And that, my friends, I am Brent Stafford. And this has been Rugwatch.